This is from Pema Children. She writes, This place of the squeeze is the very point in our meditation and in our lives where we can really learn something. The point where we are not able to take it or leave it. (laughs) Where we are caught between a rock and a hard place. Caught with both the upliftedness of our ideas and then the rawness of what's happening in front of our eyes. That is indeed a very fruitful place. When we feel squeezed, there is a tendency for mind to become small. We feel miserable like a victim, like a pathetic, hopeless case. So believe it or not, at that moment of hassle or bewilderment or embarrassment, our minds could become bigger. Instead of taking what's occurred as a statement of personal weakness or someone else's power, instead of feeling we are stupid or someone else is unkind, we could drop all the complaints about ourselves. We could be there feeling off guard, not knowing what to do, just hanging out there with the raw and tender energy of the moment. This is the place where we begin to learn the meaning behind the concepts and the words. We're so used to running from discomfort and we're so predictable. If we don't like it, we strike out at someone or beat ourselves up. We want to have security and certainty of some kind when actually we have no ground to stand on at all. The next time there's no ground to stand on, don't consider it an obstacle. Consider it a remarkable stroke of luck. We have no ground to stand on. And at the same time, it could soften us and inspire us. Finally, after all these years, we could truly grow up. As Trunka Rinpoche, that's um, Pema's teacher, once said, the best mantra is Om, grow up, swaha. (laughs) We are given changes all the time. We can either cling to security or we can let ourselves feel exposed as if we had just been born, as if we had just popped out into the brightness of life and were completely naked. I love that from her. The I love the mantra, Om, grow up, swaha. <laughs> swaha means to... Um, throw whatever it's a term used in fire ceremony and um you throw whatever it is on the fire and then let let it be an offering right let it be burned as an offering that then rises up towards the heavens towards um what is divine what is light what is love it's beautiful home grow up swaha and then that description right of um when we are able to be in that place of um, becoming, right? It's really a place of becoming that she's talking about when the squeeze happens, right? And then we feel the opening that follows the squeeze. It feels like an awakening. So in that end, when she talks about coming out as a um, bright newborn baby, she's talking about um, what it feels like to wake up, which isn't always necessarily comfortable, right? (laughs) Um, okay, so that's from Pema. So a line of inquiry um, has come 
up in the last year that I want to speak to you all about. Um, and I've put forth this idea in the past um, that practice a question that we might ask in practice is how can I keep my heart opening and open in the face of suffering, right? We talked about that a lot last summer, if you remember. Um, And another way to say this might be, how can I stay soft and expansive um, and in a place of awake freedom, (laughs) even when I am suffering and the planet is dying and um, people of color and children of color are getting murdered by the police every single day? Like, how can I open my heart and stay soft and stay in love? Um, And I'd like to sort of pull back what I said before, because I think that there is a a sort of implicit judgment there. Um, And at this point, I think that it's impossible, right? It's impossible to stay soft and open and free in the place of so much suffering. And that actually the cycles of the heart, right? The opening, the closing, the squeeze, and the becoming are actually really wise. Are actually really wise that there's wisdom there in the contraction and that there's wisdom in the opening. Um, And that there's no possible way to stay open and in love all the time. In fact, I think that it is a way, a thing that we could use to judge ourselves, or I should speak for myself. It is a thing that I have used to judge myself, right, when the contraction happens. And that it is also a place where um, it can be exhausting, my friends, to constantly be like, am I awake? Am I awake? (laughs) You know? like geez everyone just trying to find a little love in our lives you know (laughs) a little compassion and tenderness so what to do um Ram Dass gave us this beautiful phrase that has always resonated with me and it's that it's that of loving awareness and he says that we are loving awareness that ultimately when we get down to the essence of what we actually are of what our consciousness is it's that it's loving awareness And I love this because it speaks to, for me at least, to both sides of both wings of the practice, so to speak, which is that you have the love, which is the bhakti side, right, which is devotional, um, the understanding that there is a divine spark that exists in everything and all beings um, in this earth, right, in this universe. And that then there's the awareness part of it, which is the wisdom, the paying attention, the capacity to be with the teachings and to receive the wisdom of the teachings, right? And let that become a thing that starts to guide us and change us, sort of create the um, path of the river, so to speak. And yeah, it's an invitation toward wisdom, just looking at my notes. Um, It's the Buddhist line, right? So there's the bhakti with the love, and then there's the Buddhist line with the um, awareness. And it's both. It's the combination of both, and that makes up the stuff of who we are, which is so beautiful. Um, And wise love, right? Aware love, I think, recognizes that the heart has its seasons just like anything else. 
and that it opens and that it closes and that it constricts and that it unconstricts, just like the moon, um, the weather, the rain, the ocean, anything in nature, (laughs) if we allow it to be, has these seasons, right, of the opening and the closing, right, of the flower. Um, And the expectation that the heart wouldn't have cycles is false. Um, And I... It's, I, I just I want you to know that as a teacher that this is sort of like I think one of the brilliant things is that we get to say oh my god we've been doing it wrong for 30 years you know <laughs> and that this new insight right this new aha kind of moment happens um, and then we get to move forward from that place and that the arc of um, wisdom as it comes always bends toward love right and it might be a long arc. <laughs> But it's always bending toward more kindness. Kindness is always ultimately the landing place. Um, so, so there's that. But I, I think it's important that we allow these teachings to be, to do the work that they're supposed to do on us, which is that we get to change our minds sometimes. And if that's not happening, if we're not surprising ourselves and being like, oh my gosh, then in a way we've stopped learning. So I feel really grateful for this new insight and this sort of constriction and closing down that has happened for me recently. Um, And, you know, you've got this example of Arjuna and Krishna um, in the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, which is, I I love the Bhagavad Gita, but the beginning is my favorite part because it's the most human, right? And Arjuna is this warrior and... um, Krishna's God and Arjuna has to go into battle and on both sides of the battlefield are people and things and humans that he has known and loved. And so at the very beginning, he asks Krishna, he says, take me to the center of the battlefield. And I translate that, I translate that, take me to the center of the mess, right? To the juice of living, right? Which is the first noble truth, which is suffering. He's like, take me to the center of that. Um, and there's a story in this tiny, tiny book, uh, a Pema's 2 that I found in my car that I forgot I had. One of you gave it to me, and I don't know who it is, but thank you. Um, <laughs> but there's this story that the Buddha tells about the four kinds of horses. There's the excellent horse, the good horse, the poor horse, and the really bad horse. I love that. <laughs> that was so funny. And the excellent horse, according to the sutra, moves before the whip touches its back, right? Just the shout of the whip or the slightest sound from the driver is enough to make the horse move and change and transform. That's the teaching. And the good horse runs at the lightest little touch of the whip at its back. And the poor horse doesn't go until it feels pain. And the very bad horse doesn't budge until the pain perhaps penetrates to the marrow of its bones. And when Suzuki tells this story in his book, Zen Beginner's Mind, he says that when people hear this sutra, they always assume that they should be the very good horse, right? The one that doesn't have to be touched by suffering. Um, But actually, when we sit, it doesn't matter whether we're the best horse or the worst horse. And he goes on to say that the really terrible horse is actually the best practitioner who lets themselves be touched by suffering in that deep, right, to the bone kind of way. 
And that's what happens in the Bhagavad Gita is that Arjuna says to Krishna, take me to the center of the mess, like bring me closer to the suffering. Bring me closer to the suffering so I can feel it deep in my bones. And um, Krishna isn't like, oh, and then and then he and then Arjuna like throws himself on the ground and he's like, my mouth is dry, right? And my bones are aching and I'm trembling. And we all know that feeling. I've experienced it like three times in the past week. That feeling of like that in our body kind of suffering. And oh, here's my donkey. Hi, baby. And Krishna's not like, oh, okay, well, I'm giving up on you. Your heart's awfully closed over there with your mouth being dry and you're trembling and everything happening. That's not what happens. Instead, and this is so, it's a realization that I didn't have until like this morning when I was writing about this for all of you, is that um, Krishna is not like, well, you're, you're a sad case. Instead, it's at that moment, right, that Krishna begins to teach Arjuna about yoga, right, about the path of freedom. It's at that moment, right at the marrow, the heart of the suffering. Um, and that's what Suzuki is talking about, is that it's actually the most terrible horse Right, that becomes the best practitioner, that is going to be the most receptive to the teachings because we come here. We come here because something isn't quite going right usually in our lives, and we know that there's a better way. We know that there is um, a path to awakening, a path to freedom that is available to us, that someone must have done this before, right? So it, that begs the question, what now? And why would we practice, Audra, if the seasons of the heart are just the seasons of the heart? And um, Ram Das's teacher, Maharaji, would say, um, and Krishna Das as well, like, the fruit is ripening and the sun is shining. What is there to do? And that's true. And, and we're not just love. We are also awareness. We are also wisdom. We need both wings. Um. So there's a story of a rabbi he used to teach, and he said um, it was in the Jewish mystical tradition. And um, he would have his disciples memorize, reflect, and contemplate, and place the teachings of the holy words on their heart. So that was it. When he would instruct his um, students, he would say, place these holy words, memorize them, and put them on your heart. And one day a student asked why the rabbi always used the phrase on your heart. And the master replied, only the divine can put the teachings into your heart. Here we recite and learn and put them on the heart, hoping that sometime when your heart breaks that they will fall in. It brings tears to my eyes. Right? So we place the wisdom of the teachings on our hearts over and over and over again so that someday when our heart breaks, that the wisdom of the teachings will be what falls in. Right? Um, and we have evidence all around us, all around us right now 
about what happens when we let the culture be what lands on our hearts. Right? Krishnamurti said that we think that we are thinking our own thoughts, but in fact we are thinking the culture's thoughts. And what does the culture value? The culture values thinness and whiteness and power and money and fame um, and things that are external, right? So if we don't come to the practice and again and again place the wisdom of the teachings on our hearts so that when they break, that's what slips in, the other things will. Right? And we see evidence of that all of the time. And so in that way, this becomes a very radical thing to do, to be here practicing loving kindness again and again. But with the caveat that the heart has its seasons that they open and they close. Um, Jack Cornfield says, it is a practice. And so as it says in the teachings, just as water drops on a stone and gradually wears it away, or just as the raindrops accumulate in the water jar, so too, drop by drop, the practice of love begins to bring the heart to flower. Right? Drop by drop. Drop by drop. Um, there's a lot more to say. I uh, want to leave you with these words that I also learned from Jack in the meditation teacher training program that I'm doing, which is amazing. It's really, I feel like it's perfect timing for me. I was going to do it before, but I didn't. Um, and... In this time off, I've been practicing loving-kindness meditation every single day. And I would encourage you to go to week five and week six of the mindfulness class, even if you're like, Meh, I don't want to do the whole thing. But those two weeks in particular um, have really changed my life. And I think from what I've heard from the students, also um, some lives in there, maybe someone in the chat can speak to that. Um, but Jack says, you know, when we're working with how to um, offer loving kindness to the people or the systems that are happening that are really difficult, right? Um, or we're like, I don't know if that person deserves it. And we really can feel that hatred in our own hearts, that resistance in our own hearts that we can offer these words, which are, um, and it's something that we can wish for everyone, right? May your heart be free from hatred. May your heart be free from greed. May you find peace in your heart. Um, so as we're here, like sitting um, in this dark moment in so many ways for the planet, um, for human beings, right? with each other, we're still separated in most ways because of the pandemic that we can bring those words into our practice when we start to meet that place and just see what happens. And they might not go in, right? Um, but we want those things, right? That practice of loving awareness and kindness um, to land on our hearts. Um, so I'll, I'll leave you there with that, my loves. I'm gonna pop back into the chat and see if there's any um, any feedback here um, or questions that you have. Uh, we'll be together soon. Uh, and 
at least some of us who are able and um I'm I'm really looking forward to it and also kind of scared. <laughs> My mouth feels dry. I just love that so much that it's at that moment, right? Um when we get down um to the marrow of our suffering that we experience transformation. It's true, we've all experienced it. Think about any hard thing that you've gone through in your life and what happens afterwards and it's usually a blossoming. It's usually a blossoming. Okay. <laughs> 